This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. On today's PropTech VC show, we have Ben Williams, the co-founder and CEO of Arsom. Arsom, pronounced A-R-S-O-M-E, develop, partner, and invest in software products, including education and the metaverse. Ben, thank you for coming on today's show. How are you? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great. It's one of the warmest days of the month here in Connecticut. This is a very interesting time to be in the metaverse space. Talk to us about your journey. How did you get to where you are? Sure. Yeah, the metaverse is is thrown around a little too much, and I and I hope today we can really define and elaborate what really it is and how people can benefit from it. So back in 2014, when I was an undergraduate student at NYU, uh, working on various software projects, I linked up with an undergrad professor, and we decided to start experimenting with augmented and virtual reality technology. And at the time, it was really important for education. Uh, you know, it wasn't really used for the metaverse or for putting groups or, or large parties in, in the same room to explore. It was really for specific actions. Uh, for instance, working with an insurance company to, to help claim adjusters identify vehicle damage. So something as simple as that. But as any industry, uh, there's evolution. And over the years from 2015, you know, 2017, 2018, we started looking deeper into how this technology can really benefit uh, users. And what we really saw is it's a medium. It's really a medium to better present information, to present better present solutions, to better present communication and information. So I think as we learn and move forward, the technology is a medium for us to do something better with it. Uh, and that's that's how we move forward today as a company is using it as infrastructure and building around it. You know, we talk about the metaverse and even a precursor to that virtual reality, augmented reality, and these other methods. 2014 was early, very early. You could probably claim to be one of the first you know, technology enthusiasts and, and companies in the space. Why didn't why didn't it take off? There was a lot of excitement at that point. I remember personally at that time I was running my company. I had many friends who started companies in the space and they didn't survive. And I even know of many venture funds that started with the sole focus of virtual reality is going to be the next big thing. And then nothing really happened. Walk us through what was going on at the time when this came to, you know, to public awareness that we can wear these headsets, we can experience things. And why did it not take off in the way many people were hoping it would take off at that point. Why are we still here in 2022? Sure, no, and that's a great question. You know, back in the day, 2014, 2015, the first question any any customer would ask is, what is augmented and virtual reality? So obviously today there's a little bit more of, a, of an awareness, but we still get those questions today. So I'm not completely confident that the industry has really break, broken through. And the reason of that, I think there's a few barriers of entry. Uh, I think the first is developing the software is difficult. It's You need a little bit more expertise than your traditional full stack developer. So I think you need to find expertise that is able to develop these modules or these programs, or these applications, number one. Number two, the cost, you know, the infrastructure to put a training program in, say, for one of these insurance companies uh, is pretty significant. And it has to be a multi-year. 
uh, engagement uh, with controlled pilots and iterations, metrics, success metrics. So if they don't understand the technology fully and completely, it's going to be difficult to get them on the hook for a multi-year engagement. So a lot of times what we have to do is start with a pilot, as most companies do, to gain trust and to gain confidence. But as you know, within some of these larger companies, it could take years to get a successful pilot and then of course, a multi-year engagement. So that's number two. And I think the third uh, real interesting aspect of the industry when we look to direct consumers, so students and youth and families uh, exploring and using this technology at home, we have to look at the cost, right? The cost of these headsets, not only the headsets, but effective headsets, right? Oculus, these he- these headsets that are really put you in an immersive world, unlike you know a $2 cardboard headset. We have to provide the, the cost barriers a little lower to, to increase adoption. So all in all, I think you need significant software expertise to develop these these experiences, what, which is hard to come by. Uh, number two, I think the purchasing and, and the sales cycles of these corporations, uh, if, if that's who you're targeting, in our case, that's who we target, uh, is, is multi-year and usually includes a proposal. And that's primarily because they don't quite understand yet how the technology can help them, which is a which is okay. And the third is dropping the cost of, of hardware, whether that be uh, virtual reality headsets for youth or other hardware, for instance, uh, driving simulators or heavy machinery simulators. Bring these simulators and these, these hardware aspects down, the cost uh, will make things a little bit more easier for adoption. And starting a company in such an emerging industry comes with challenges because not only are you trying to identify who your customer is, you're trying to identify within that customer base Do you have the right people? Is there organizational commitment? Often I found that the company has an innovation department or has appointed an agency and they need to do experimental things. But it it unfortunately comes out to be nothing more than a, a cute case study that sits somewhere in a press release and it doesn't become central to the organization's efforts. How have you seen companies approach their programs and initiatives around VR, and Web3 overall as time has evolved? And is it still something they experiment with, hence there's a multi-year process? Or, or are you seeing companies now commit and say at their central core, this is our strategy, we need to now figure out how to solve this medium of, of, of platform interaction beyond the web and mobile. We now have the metaverse and whatever that entails. 100%, and I think you're spot on uh, where in the last four or five years or so we've noticed uh, that most of these corporations or even government agencies really have this unique division uh, where their job is to assess innovative technology and then ultimate, ultimately implement it, right, with a correct division. So you're on, you're you're spot on there. Uh, you know, I think it's it, I think the companies are there. I believe the corporations are there. But in just like with any software, especially software that that has a hardware component, perhaps there's some kind of security aspects with the data. You know, most corporations most definitely will start with a pilot, right? So they want they want to test success. They want to test the user experience. They want to see if their employees are learning better than they did with other traditional means first before exploring on. But also, this is for the industry of metaverse, uh, like people like me, it's our job Right to con- not necessarily to convince them, but to, to to educate them and to provide options and to provide recommendations and to really guide them along the process of how they can benefit in this new world, slow and steady. So strategizing with a pilot and enforcing slow and steady, I think, is key uh, for targeting the corporations for Web3 in the metaverse. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement building around the concept of metaverse, especially when we think about the real estate angle. 
And part of that, I think, comes from the social proof that seems to exist. The signal's coming out now. I'll give you two examples. Number one, you've got Facebook rebranding to Meta. When they're putting $10 billion plus behind the building out of this ecosystem, you, you have to pay attention. And then secondly, when you look at these metaverse platforms, and we're talking about platforms like Somnium and CryptoVoxels and, and Axie Infinity, Sandbox, Decentraland, to some of our listeners, this might sound like you know made up words, but these are the names today of various online platforms where people can go to and browse through. It's like a 3D world that you can interface with. Now, there's social proof because you're seeing very large brands come in and they're buying plots of land, they're hosting experiences. Not only that, but you've got brands also selling digital virtual items, which we call NFTs. Now, the question here is, are we seeing brands embrace this as a core part of their strategy? Or are they just putting experimental innovation budget into this platform? And just to, before you address that, I ran an advertising company before. You know, it, was a, it was a big exit, $780 million. And we started out by getting some of the world's largest brands to advertise. It was very easy to get a $10,000 trial budget or even a $50,000 trial budget to create some beautiful ad experiences. But to turn that $50,000 ad budget into a multi-million dollar campaign was a completely different step and sometimes a completely different set of you know uh, ecosystem stakeholders. What are we seeing here? Why are these big brands you know, the biggest brands in the world are coming in. You've got Walmart releasing, you know, demos of what their experiences are going to look like. And you've got Atari and you've got Nike and Adidas competing and you've got Gucci. Name a brand and I can guarantee you they're having a brainstorming session about this. But what's really going on? Is this experimental or is this a central shift in strategy? I think it's most definitely experimental. Uh, to sum it up, I would say it's, it'd be more expensive in the long run for these brands not to experiment. Right. What do they have to lose? So when we talk about these, these decentralized locations or, you know, the, the infrastructure in which you can build buildings and host experiences, the brands are most definitely flocking to that. But what I want everyone to keep in mind and take a step back is you have to somehow have a strategy to drive traffic to these virtual worlds. Right. That's going to be the most important aspect you can build 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 but if you don't have that strong community and audience or gamification or reward system or some sort of an engagement strategy to drive them to those experiences then there's going to be a mistake but i think if we take a step back and 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 you know your experience for the advertising firm and getting that trial budget of 10 50k that's similar to my experience of doing a pilot uh that's that's make sure everybody's uh, on point and, and confident before we move forward. But one of the tricks I have learned is to bridge that gap, to get that hopefully multi-million dollar uh, next step, if you will, is to put some kind of a trigger or contingency in these proposals, saying that if stakeholders are happy, if the success metrics are checked off, then we're going to move forward with a with a, a more engaged and more complex system that could be eight, 10 times the price of the pilot, something like that. So for those who are listening and trying to get, you know, brands to that next step, perhaps implementing a contingency or trigger uh, will, will help you bridge that. What, what are some of the metrics and KPIs brands are looking at as they decide whether they should double down beyond running pilots and make this central shift in strategy about the metaverse? 
Sure. So we could start, you know, I'll break it down into education and retail. Those are the two of the areas I, I have some experience with. So education, right, we're going to look at employees and students, right? So employees, we're specifically looking to see, are they learning or they're retaining information more efficiently and effectively than traditional methods? So it's as simple as that. So currently, a lot of the most of the insurance companies here in Connecticut, a lot of their training is PowerPoint. So we have to find a way to bring that information to life in a more exper experiential way. Uh, the other aspect about the employees is that a lot of it ex is experiential learning. They're expected to go to craft sites and they're expected to go to houses that have trees in their roofs to, to understand the assessment. So if we can simulate that experience in virtual reality and determine you know, is this more of an effective learning simulation than taking somebody and driving them to a, a, a car accident? Then that's that's what they're looking for. They want to make sure this technology will replace existing learning infrastructure. So that's for employees. OK, now we're looking at students. It's a little different. And I think one of the areas that has been really indirect. And if we look at the technology as a medium, Okay, augmented and virtual reality is a medium. We're, we're seeing social emotional learning, which is this, this huge umbrella of, of, of understanding information, presenting information, retaining information, and seeing how that can be used for all different subjects, animal and wildlife, health literacy, uh, financial literacy, geometry. Uh, so we're seeing that students uh, are much more effective learners at home with the with the use of this technology than traditional means. Again, what's the traditional means? A lot of the times it's textbooks. Okay, so we're looking in the education sector specifically. Does this technology validate the learning outcomes more effectively than traditional uh, practices? Okay, so that's education. In retail, it's you have a lot going on there, right? Because you have direct benefits and then you have indirect benefits, right? The direct benefits could be purchases, as simple as that. The indirect benefits could be compute, community engagement, could be retention, could be social media, uh, connectivity and sharing. So I think when brands, you know, are looking towards the metaverse, they, they're looking for a combination. Uh, they're not so much looking like on the education sector to see is this much, is this a better, more effective medium for somebody to purchase than, uh, you know, than an in-store experience. I think they're looking for a much more rounded approach to keeping their, their community. Uh, and they're seeing that this metaverse world with the, of course, the pairing of the NFTs, as you said, the digital assets, they're seeing that they can take this community, build this community, and it will translate into the physical world, right? And that's really what they want to get after. They want people to go to their shows, to go to their experiences, to walk into their stores, to buy their products. So when we look at what both industries, education and retail are really targeting in the use of AR, VR, it's, it's both very different, but we're at that point six or seven years later that we're now finally able to understand that every industry, each industry could use this technology differently. And that's okay. And it's taken some time for us to get there. But finally, we're starting to understand, the industry's starting to understand that it's, it's not a one, one shoe fits all. Everybody has a unique purpose for this tech.